Welcome to the Harrisburg Brethren in Christ sermon series. Bienvenidos a la serie de sermones de Harrisburg Brethren in Christ, where our vision is to be a thriving, diverse, urban church sharing Christ's love and serving the needs of our local and global communities. Here's an example of what you hear. If God was powerful enough to raise Jesus from the dead, he's powerful enough to break these chains of addiction on me. He's powerful enough to break the generational curses in my family. He is powerful enough to stop the senseless violence in Harrisburg. I'm telling you this morning the incredible truth that Jesus Christ is crazy about you. Helping each other to experience God's love, God's power, God's healing. Helping to change one another's lives. Church can continue to be a place, or church can continue to become a people, my people. Let's pray. And now here's this week's sermon. Check it out. God bless you. Good morning, church. Um, it's good to be with you all again this morning. It's always a gift and a blessing. I told the first service, I was especially glad to see them because there's the snow and all, 9 a.m. I know y'all was coming there. I wasn't sure, too sure about them at 9 a.m. But I knew you, y'all, y'all the, y'all the good, 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 good people who are gonna be here at 11. Don't tell them I said that though. If we're recording, don't start yet. Um, this morning, as you've heard, um, it's ad the second Sunday of Advent, and we're celebrating peace. Um, at Advent, we prepare and anticipate the celebration of our Lord's birth. At Advent, we wait. We wait expectantly, wait knowing that in the coming of Mary's sweet baby boy, God sent forth His Son to usher in a peace that our world had never known, wait knowing that in Christ, God who is spirit takes on skin, wait knowing that in Christ, God who breathed life into humankind now humbly breathed our own very air, wait knowing that in Christ, God who was radiance stepped into deep, deep darkness to shine his bright forever light. At Advent, we prepare and anticipate the celebration of the Lord's birth. At Advent, we wait, we wait expectantly. And this morning, sisters and brothers, as we wait expectantly together, the message simply is this, rejoice, peace has come down. Rejoice, peace has come down. Rejoice, sisters and brothers, peace has come down. Amen? Amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to John chapter 14. I'll be reading verses 22 to 31. As always, if you don't have your Bibles or you want to, you can follow up front. In John 14, 22 to 31, we read, Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, ever since I was a kid, that part always got me. It just seems like the John is being a little petty here. You know, he's like, he wants you to know it's the good one, right? It's just like, then Judas, you know, the good one, the one who didn't betray the Lord, you know, the one we actually like. But that's just me. That's just how I read the Bible. It's got to be living and active. Um, then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. You heard me say I am going away and I am coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. For the Father is greater than I. 
I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not say so much more to you, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you that in you we have peace come down. The season we celebrate that you came into this world to give us a peace that we had never known, a peace that makes us reconciled with God, a peace that makes us reconciled with each other, a peace that reconciles all things back to you. So Lord, as we listen this morning, help us to listen intently and closely to what it means that Jesus has blessed us with his shalom, with his peace. In your name, Lord, we pray, amen. John 14 is without a doubt one of the most important passages in all of scripture. Now, yes, all the scriptures God breathed, but if you're like me and you're trekking to Deuteronomy and Leviticus, you might not always feel that. But we as brethren in Christ, for example, have always valued the words of Jesus a little bit more, a lot more, I would say. Our thinking is simply this. Jesus is God. He's the full revelation of God. And Jesus is our Lord and Savior. So when Jesus speaks, we would do well to listen. But we would do even better to obey, Amen. So in John 14, Jesus is speaking, and this morning I would like to invite all of us to do some listening, but even better than that, I think the Spirit would welcome and help us, the Spirit would enlighten and guide us to not just hear what Jesus is saying, but to obey. For obedience is quite often the very best way to show that you believe, amen? Amen. This chapter begins at the conclusion of the Last Supper, Jesus' final meal with his disciples. The God of this universe, who took on the form of a man and entered into his own creation, has just finished taking the lowest place in every household back then, the place of a slave, a foot-washing servant. Knowing his time had come and that Calvary was near, Jesus sought to reinforce among his followers that we are to serve one another, that we are to wash each other's feet that we are to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. Furthermore, we are to look at Jesus not simply as our ideal, but as our example. Because you see, ideals may never be reached. No matter how hard we try, we can fall short of our ideals, can't we? But sisters and brothers, while we may fall short of ideals, examples can be followed. Examples are meant to be followed. So Jesus does not simply call us to to sing his praise and and call out our inefficiencies or or all the ways that we are not, all the ways we fall short. Sisters and brothers, Jesus doesn't want to just simply remain your ideal that you never reach. No, Jesus wants to be your example. Why? Because ideals may never be reached, but examples can be followed. And we are called followers of Jesus, are we not? Are we not? Immediately after that scene, Jesus tells his chosen followers again that the time is almost here, that his hour had come. Jesus predicts Judas Iscariot, the bad one. Jesus predicts Judas' betrayal. Jesus predicts Peter's denial, not once, not twice, but three times. Three times Peter, one of Jesus' best friends. Sometimes I don't think we get the weight of this betrayal. Peter was on the inner circle. It wasn't one of the thousands who heard him. It wasn't one of the hundreds who pledged to follow him. It wasn't even the 70 he sent out. It wasn't the 12 he discipled. It's one of his own inner circle, the people who were with him in Gethsemane, the people who were with him at the Mount of Transfiguration, one of his best friends. That's who denied him three times. The one who had faith enough to walk on water couldn't stand up to a little servant girl, not because she was a woman, but because he was chicken. 
Jesus predicted three times that Peter would deny him. Needless to say, if you think about it, Jesus really knows how to dampen the mood. Hey, everyone, let's have a party, a celebration feast. All right, Jesus. But hey, um, this will probably be our last meal with you all because I'm going to go to the cross now. And, uh, but let's have a really good meal. All right. Well, let's think about it. Some of y'all have been kind of selfish. Um, some of you are worried about power too much, like who's going to be more important in heaven. Please stop that. In fact, y'all need to focus on being fo- like foot washing servants. That's what y'all need to do. But hey, let's celebrate party time. Oh, good, because some of you, Judas, will betray me. Some of you, Peter, will deny me. And just about all of you in this room will desert me in my hour of deepest suffering. You'll leave me at the cross with only my mother and maybe John there. Thanks, guys. But hey, let's party. You know, I think this is just me, right? But I really think this is maybe why Jesus has been working on heaven for thousands of years, right? Like, I love this line by Keith Green. He says, you know, the Bible says Jesus made the world in six days. Scientists would say no. Some theologians may say yes. I don't really care. My Bible says he created the world in six days, right? And I know he's been working on heaven for thousands of years. So I was thinking about that this morning. I was like, you know what, man? I really think the reason it's taken so long to make heaven is because, yeah, the family isn't full. Yeah, the last person hasn't chosen to follow Jesus yet. But I also think Jesus needs to learn how to party. And the Spirit and the Father is going to be like, that whole damp and mood thing you used to do, you need to chill out because heaven's going to be a party, amen? So, sorry, Savior's learning. <laughs> Seriously, though, this is the scene that's said in John 14. This is why Jesus begins with, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the place where I'm going. When I was a young boy, about yay high, and I say yay high because I started high school, I was 4'11 and 90 pounds. Imagine, it's crazy. Um, and my head is pretty much the same size. I grew into it about three years ago. So imagine like 4'11, 90 pounds with a head this big. That was me. But when I was a boy, I was about yay high, and um, I remember one of my earliest mentors, one of my earliest people who discipled me in the faith, we used to sing this song called Countdown. The first service acted like they didn't know what it was talking about, and I just think, you didn't have good Sunday school teachers. I'm sorry. But we had this song called Countdown. Some of you might remember 10 and 9, 8 and 7, 6 and 5 and 4, that song, right? And at the end of that song was John 14, 3. And every Sunday that we sang the song, I would shoot up because at the end, we would say that John 14, 3 verse, right? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. And growing up, I thought the treasure of knowing that verse was that I got a piece of candy or I got a dollar. But all these years later, it stuck with me that what God was teaching me was that no matter what this world throws at you, no matter what you're going through, no matter how far away you feel from me, no matter if you really, really know me or are holding on to me, I love you. And I'm going and working and bringing you to that place because all I want is for you to be where I am. Amen? In this passage this morning, Jesus reminds his followers of the difficult days ahead, not just simply to be a mood dampener. It's not even simply Jesus being realistic. No, Jesus wants his people to be prepared. How about that? Jesus wants us to be prepared because when we're prepared, it's so much easier to wait expectantly. 
When we're prepared, it's so much easier to hold on to hope. It's so much easier to see the light in the midst of darkness. It's so much easier to believe that this world can be broken. It's so much easier to believe in love in a world of hatred. It's so much easier to hold on to God when we're prepared. Jesus wants you to be prepared. See, I may tell you that, you know, in all things, God works for the good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. But Jesus wants you to know that in this world you will have trouble, but he gives you his peace. I may tell you that this world and its darkness is passing and, and the true light is already shining. But we all know and we all should know that there's a devil out there. That there's a prince of darkness who's cowering around to devour you like a lion. But again, even in this, Jesus wants us all to know this morning to be prepared because in this world we will have trouble. But he gives us his peace. He gives us his peace. In this world you will have trouble, but I have left you my peace. To prepare his followers for the days ahead, Jesus tells them exactly what will happen. To prepare them for the destiny to come, Jesus calls on us to hope. Hope in God our Father, but also hope in him. Jesus, our Lord and Savior, Jesus calls us to hope for our future lies not in the hands of men, but safely and securely in the hand of the Father. But in between our present and our future hope and destiny comes our every day, don't it? And I think one message we can get directly from Jesus here in John 14 is that as you live in this present, as you walk through the everyday, as you go through every scene after scene, as you wait expectantly, as you hope, as we hope, we can rejoice. Why? Because peace has come down. Rejoice, sisters and brothers. Peace has come down. Amen? In John 14, Jesus calls us to rejoice for peace has come down. You see, we know this. Because heaven is being prepared for us. That is humbling to me. That God can speak the world into existence, but he's going to work on heaven. Think about that. It should blow your mind. Jesus will come again in all his glory, proving once and for all that our current situation is not our destination. Praise God, praise God, praise God, sisters and brothers, because your current situation is not your destination. In John 14, Jesus calls us to rejoice, for peace has come down. And we know this because God, our Father, has been revealed in the fullness of Jesus Christ. You want to know what God looks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God loves like? Look at Jesus. You want to know what God speaks like? Look at Jesus. You want to know God? Know Jesus. Jesus, the Lord and Savior, reminds all who have ears to hear, all who have eyes to see, all who have hands to touch, all who have hearts to feel, all who have minds to know that he is indeed the way, that he is indeed the truth, that he is indeed the life. Praise God, praise God, that we need no way but Jesus. Praise God, that we need no truth but Jesus. Praise God, that there is no life, there is no life, there is no life but life in Christ. In John 14, Jesus calls us to rejoice, for peace has come down. And we know this because Jesus has left for us the Holy Spirit. That means we don't walk on our own. That means that we don't talk on our own. That means that we don't live on our own. That means we don't even breathe our own breaths on our own. Praise God, praise God, praise God, sisters and brothers. Peace has come down, for we have the Spirit who's the advocate, the one who comes to us, the one who helps us, the one who dwells within us. 
Now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. Now and forevermore. The Spirit of God lives in you now and forevermore. Now remember, the peace that has come down in Christ is not just simply the great blessing that we, the lost children, can come home again. Although that's important. It's important for us all to know and remember and hold on to the fact that we were once separated from Christ. We were once excluded from God's people. We were once foreigners to all of God's promises. We were without hope. We were without God in this world. But through Christ... Peace has been made so that we who were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Jesus. The peace that Christ brings, though, is not just salvation, it's shalom. And sisters and brothers, we would also do well to know and remember and to hold on to the fact that peace has come down in Christ. And that proves that the blood that flowed on Calvary's tree matters more than the blood that flows in our veins. Sisters and brothers, that means even though we come from families, even though we come from societies and cultures that seem to thrive on dividing us based on status and gifting, based on race and gender, based on economic status and education, based on political views and and how much we support man-made and man-honoring governments, we would do well to remember that in Christ we are members of one another. We are members of one body. We are his body. But the peace that Christ brings is not just reconciliation, it's shalom. The peace that has come down in Christ gives us all access to the Father. What a blessing that is. It gives us all who know Jesus, who believe on his name and follow him, not simply as our ideal, but as our example. It gives us the Holy Spirit. What a blessing that is. The peace that has come down in Christ makes us not foreigners and strangers in the world, but citizens and children in the Father's kingdom. The peace that has come down in Christ makes us, makes you, makes me together a holy temple. A holy temple with Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. And the home, the home, the home where God's spirit dwells. But you see, the peace that Christ brings is not all of these blessings. It's not everyday and eternal blessings. It's shalom. Shalom. Shalom is a word that everyone knows, right? Or if you were like me, shalom is one of those words that you think you know. I mean, shalom is Hebrew for peace, right? I mean, I got that Hebrew peace. You know, I can still think back to one of my first real conversations about this word shalom. One of the great blessings of my life was high school, which for a lot of people, that's not a blessing. I'm sorry. But one of the great blessings of my life was high school that I got to attend. You know, by being able to pull students from just about every neighborhood and every corner of Philadelphia, I was blessed to be forever shaped by a world and a school that was more diverse than I had ever known. It was more different than I could imagine. It was more distinct than I had seen. You know, in this world, I met and struck a friendship with a guy by the name of Seth Goldberg. We met during ninth grade orientation at our high school. That was the one day where you left your middle school where you were a big man or big woman on campus, where you were top of the food chain. And then you go and you sit inside the Kavanagh's Auditorium at Central High School. You know, they did this as an intentional shock to your system, right? At this orientation, you were told that, yeah, you're the best and brightest, but some of you ain't going to be able to hang. We were told that, you know what, many of you might change the world. But a lot of you are just going to settle for the status quo. We were told that, you know, look around the room. A lot of you in your life have been the smartest. You've been the brightest. You've been the apple of your parents' eye. You've been the apple of your teachers and principals. It's not even true anymore. 
Because when you look in this room, there's people who are smarter than you. There's people who your parents are going to like better than you. There's people who are going to do more than you. Just accept it, right? So I'm sitting there in the midst of hearing all this. I'm having my first real existential crisis, right? I'm sitting there thinking, you know, what have I signed up for? Like, everything to this far was good. What have I gotten myself into? What is the meaning of life, Lord? Jesus, why am I here? In the midst of me asking God these real questions, and they were real at the time, I sat there talking to myself. I peer around, and I, I notice next to me this guy who just seems to be taking it all in. Seems to be just chilling, just a lot better, just taking it all in. I'm like, who is this dude? So I make the executive decision that this guy will be my friend. If he's that cool now, we need to hang out because I need to stay close to him and get tips or something. So we introduce ourselves. This was uh, the year of our Lord, 1996 BSM, or as I like to call it, before any real social media. And in the days of dial-up internet and switching out the free AOL CDs, I know I was not the only one. Back then in 1996, at a time in history where one phone call could kick you offline for hours, Seth and I traded phone numbers. We planned to hang out that summer so that in September, this was the, the brilliance of my plan, right? We're going to hang out in the summer because in September, we could go to school having at least one friend. It was a great plan. It's going along flawlessly until Seth said that he couldn't really hang out on Saturdays because he had to go to synagogue. Naturally, my reaction was, wait, what, synagogue? Yes, Seth replied, every Saturday. Wait, you fly back to Israel every week to go to church? What? What are you talking about? Y'all, to be fair, I grew up in Southwest Philly. We had no Jewish people. Not on my block, not in my school, not on my paper route, not on any of the teams I played on, not on any of the families I knew. So yes, I at the time honestly had no idea that there were Jewish people in Philadelphia. But to be fair, I had researched my high school at my local library, back when we still went to libraries. I do not know, I didn't know about the Google back then, because back then we had Yahoo as our capable search engine. And in my impeccable research and findings, I had learned that Central High School was once home to what? Very wealthy Jewish families. So you see, it's not that difficult to see my confusion. They're wealthy, they're Jewish, they go back to Israel for synagogue. But yeah, I had no idea that there were Jewish people in Philadelphia. So at Central, I got an education from Seth and from Ben, from Sarah and from David, and from a couple of Jeffreys, which to this day, I can't figure out how the Jeffrey slipped in there because there's no Jeffrey in my Old Testament, but I digress. <laughs> and one of the things they schooled me on was shalom. I learned that shalom was more than peace as I thought about it. I learned that shalom was more than a, a simple greeting or, or well-wishing. I learned that shalom was the will of God. Years later, the foundation that they gave me, those high school friends, led me to understanding scripture in a new light and what God was saying in a new light. You see, this is all very important because the peace that Jesus brings is shalom. The peace that came down when Jesus entered into this world is shalom. The peace that Jesus offers when he says, peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Christ's peace is shalom. Amen? Amen. See, a life of peace and reconciliation and, and true fellowship with God and with one another is what God had always desired for his people. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created humankind, the animals, the plants. The world God created was good in his eyes. You know, some of us might stop and if we're blessed enough to look up at the stars and see God's grandeur. Maybe some of us have been hiking and you get up to the top of the mountain, you're like, why am I doing this? These white people are crazy, they're trying to kill me. 
Well, that was just me. But then when you get to the top of the mountain and you look around and you're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Some of us get this connection with God in the woods. I don't understand it. I'm from a city. I still try to figure out cicadas on my block, right? But some people get God in the woods, right? Whatever it is, right? We get to these points where we're like, God is so amazing. But I'm humbled by the fact that the God of this universe looked down on creation. And he, not me, but he said, this is good. And even more humbling is he looks at us. He looks at us and he goes, wow, this is the pinnacle of my creation. He looks at you and he says, wow, this is the best thing I have ever done. You are the highlight of all I've created. It's amazing. And it's humbling to think that when God looks at you, he sees his best. And that should challenge us because we don't always look at ourselves that way. Now, I always tell the kids, you know, you want to give yourself self-esteem. Every time you walk by a mirror, say, I am God's workmanship. I'm what God created. And he said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. And for some of us, maybe we need to start doing that. Because if you see yourself as God sees you, it makes it a little bit easier to breathe again. It makes it a little bit easier to believe again. It makes it a little bit easier to stop beating up on yourself and start trusting that God loves you. Amen? We as humans are the pinnacle of his creation. But when God created the world, it wasn't just this pinnacle, there was shalom. Humans were in peace with God. Humans were at peace with one another. Humans were reconciled to all of creation. You know, this shalom wasn't just the absence of all disunity, disobedience, and violence. It was perfection. Humankind was created sinless and innocent. Woman and man, and that's another one we forget sometimes, right? Man's created in the image of God. That's not true. Woman and man together are created in the image of God. It's in Genesis, trust me. Or you can read it, right? It is us together who are created in the image of God. Together, we need each other because it's only us together who are created in the image of God. This gifted humans above all creation because we were blessed and endowed with the ability to reflect, the ability to process, the ability to create. We're gifted above all of creation because we are created in the likeness of God and made caretaker of creation, something I think we forget when we talk about salvation. Some of us do well to know that Jesus came and died and brought peace so that we can be reconciled with God. That's only the first step. Jesus also died so you can be reconciled to one another because we are one body. You need to be reconciled to your sister and brother. That's the next step. But God desires to reconcile all things to himself. God came for all of creation. You might be the pinnacle, but God wants to redeem everything. We got a new body, yes, but we also got a new heaven and a new earth. God wants all of creation to come back to him. However, our fall introduced brokenness into our world as humans created in the image of God now became lost children far away from home. Death or separation became part of our reality. Also part of our reality was this lack of shalom. Sin made us no longer at peace with God, no longer at peace with each other, no longer at peace with the creation. Sin inaugurated spiritual separation from God, physical separation from our bodies. We now knew death. And everyday separation from God, we now know what lack of true fellowship and lack of a true relationship with God. Sin and disobedience to God and his law led us to yield to Satan's temptations, submitting to the lust of our flesh and choosing the values of Satan or the values of this fallen world instead of the values of God. 
The introduction of sin corrupted this created nature, this creation. It disrupted the harmony between humans and God, between one another, between us and the rest of creation. Our fall and our sin makes it impossible for us to be reconciled in our relationship with God, if we're honest, in our relationship with each other, and definitely in our relationship with creation. We cannot know shalom, the peace of God on our own. We need a Savior. Our sin has made the whole world not as it should be. How often do we ignore God and his commandments? How often do we exalt the individual above the care of others or above the community? How often do we willingly forfeit our roles as caretakers of the earth and abuse God's creation for our own benefit? How often do we submit to the values of this world and ignore the things that God values? How often do we see ourselves as the world sees us, and not as God sees us? How often do we deny who God created us to be? How often do we simply just choose the fallen versions of ourselves? Yet God wills shalom, and that each person would choose to follow him. God has granted us, if we're able, the choice to follow and be in fellowship with him or to reject and live apart from him. You know, God's God, so he knows all things but he still grants us the freedom to choose to follow him. It's a great mystery to me. This is one of the most humbling thing that God can do. Jesus said, I can command the stones and they would praise to me, right? In the Old Testament, you hear that all the trees clap their hands. If God wanted to, creation would come down and worship him now. But how amazing it is that God wants you to choose to follow him. I don't get it, right? I love it, but I don't get it. He's the all-powerful God. He can command and force us, but he wants us to choose to follow him because that's what true love is. And God is always there, ain't he? He's always there for we, the lost children, to come back home to him because since the beginning of creation, what has he wanted? A life of peace, a life of reconciliation, and a life of shalom for his people. God desires that all his children be reconciled to him, be reconciled to creation, be reconciled to one another. See, God created the world so that humankind could experience shalom with God, with each other, with all of creation. We know that sin transformed this relationship with God from shalom to separation. But God, it's one of my favorite phrases in all the epistles, right? Like you're reading just like, oh, this is bad. But God, yes, right? Like Ephesians 2 is one of my favorite ones. Like you're reading through, you're just like, that's us. But God, thank you, Lord, right? But God, but God, because of his great love for us, saves us by grace through faith. Jesus' death and resurrection makes it possible for us to ultimately experience shalom with God, shalom with each other, shalom with all of creation. It's important to note that Jesus' death and resurrection wasn't just to make it possible to experience shalom in the future or when heaven comes. No, God wants you to know that today you can be reconciled with him. Today you can be reconciled with each other. Today you can be reconciled with creation. God desires for us all to know and remember and to hold on to that the kingdom is coming, but it's already here. That God's peace is coming, but it's already here. That Jesus Christ has come, but he keeps coming and he will come back again. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Christ's peace is shalom. Amen? Amen. If Christ's peace is shalom, then, 
It must compel us to choose life all the time. It must call us to turn the other cheek all the time. It must invite us to love one another as Jesus loved us. Don't settle when the world says, treat people how you want to be treated. Right? Don't settle when people say, love people how you want to be loved. That's not the standard. That's the world's ideal, but Christ is our example. We need to love as Jesus loved. That's the commandment. We need to love as Jesus loved. Because if I'm honest, I don't always want to love the way Jesus loved. Right? If I'm honest, I want to treat you how I was treated. Right? But that's not your commandment. Your commandment is to live and love like Jesus lived and loved. He's not just the ideal. He's the example. He's who you're following. He's who you're choosing. He's how you're loving. Christ's peace must also compel us then to choose our Prince of Peace over our presidents, to choose the Father's kingdom over earthly empires, to choose the way of the cross over the way of the flag. Christ's peace must compel us then to make prayer, to make prayer our military might. That means, sisters and brothers, we need to pray because we wage not against flesh and blood. Y'all heard the word. I'm feeling it. I got a little amen corner here. It's giving me energy. Y'all keep it going. We wage not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. That's who we're fighting. So many of us are so content with being in the middle. But I'm a visual person. When you're in the middle of a fight, you get killed. Right? I'm a pacifist, but it's the truth. Right? If you hang out in the middle and they're fighting and they're fighting and you're in the middle, you get killed. And I think that's why so many of us are struggling because either we're stuck in the middle or we're on the wrong side. But prayer invites us into the battle. Prayer breaks our dependence on God. Prayer gives us a chance to stand not on our power, but on the power of Jesus Christ. Enter the battle. We must be people that pray. We must be people that pray. We must be people that pray. Sisters and brothers, Christ's peace must compel us not just to become persons of prayer, but become a congregation of prayer, to become a family of prayer. Because it's not just about us. One of the greatest lies we tell people in Christianity that it's an individualistic religion that's about me and what God has done for me. The early Christians would have probably smacked you because not all of them, well, I'm just kidding. They wouldn't do that. They were pacifists. But they would look at you sideways because Christianity has never been just about you. We all know John 3.16. It doesn't say, for God so loves Hank. I mean, if it did, it'd be kind of cool, but the rest of y'all would be eliminated, right? For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. Jesus came, yes, for me, but for us. And that matters more. Christ's peace must compel us to become congregations of prayer. It calls us not just to follow Jesus with our lips and then go out and deny him with how we live. It calls us not just to, 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 to say we like Jesus and then deny him with our mind and, and deny him with our hands and deny him with our hearts. Christ's peace must compel us because it invites us not to be quarrelers, but to be the blessed peacemakers, for they're the ones who are called the children of God. Amen. Sisters and brothers, Jesus, born that Christmas morn, changed this world forever. 
Jesus was not only hope realized, recognized, Jesus is hope realized. God's plan to bring his peace and shalom into the world is Jesus. God's plan to reconcile all of humankind is Jesus. God's plan to reconcile you with your sister and your brother in every relationship is Jesus. God's plan to reconcile and redeem this entire world is Jesus. Our Messiah who came so that our hope cannot just be recognized, but it can be realized and felt and touched and known. Rejoice, sisters and brothers. Rejoice, sisters and brothers. Rejoice, sisters and brothers. Peace has come down. Amen. Now this morning, I don't know what you need peace for. It may be an addiction. It may be an affliction. I'm up here. I'm not in your seat. And I don't know if it's someone. Maybe it's someone that you need peace from. Or maybe it's just peace from yourself. Maybe it's peace from your own expectations. Maybe it's peace from your own negative thoughts. Maybe it's peace from your your serial ability to just beat up on yourself. Oh, I'm not good enough. Oh, I've never done anything that matters. Oh, Lord, why do the Yankees always get nice things and I'm a cursed Mets fan? That was just me. We all grieve differently. I had a rough weekend. I had to put that in there, man. We haven't won since 1986. The Giants are 2-10. Duke lost yesterday. Chelsea lost. The Sixers lost last night. It's a rough weekend. I don't seriously. I don't know what you need peace from. You just heard my little bit. I don't know what you need peace from. I don't even know who you need peace from. I don't know what ails you. I don't know what afflicts you. I don't know what addiction so easily ensnares you. And I do not know why you are not walking in light of the peace that God brings. But I do know that in John 14, Jesus gives us some things that help us know this peace. To know that peace isn't just something we dream of or something that's coming, but something that we can have right now. Peace is promised to us, and we can experience and feel and know and touch it and hold it right now. In John 14, Jesus calls us to rejoice, for peace has come down. We know this because heaven is being prepared for us. We know this because Jesus will come again in all his glory, proving once and for all that our current situation is not our destination. Praise God. Praise God. No matter what afflicts you, no matter what's ailing you, no matter how far apart you feel from God, no matter how much you feel you're not enough, no matter how much you're crucifying yourself and beating yourself up, this morning we can have hope. We can know peace has come down because your current situation Situation is not your destination. Sisters and brothers, your current situation is not your destination. I'm sweating, I'm preaching or something. The call here is for all of us to put complete faith in Jesus. The reminder is that heaven is our home, heaven is being prepared, Christ is coming soon. The first truth to knowing and holding on to Christ's peace is remembering, sisters and brothers, that your present situation, no matter what you need peace from, no matter who you need peace from, no matter how much you're beating up yourself, no matter what ails you, no matter what afflicts you, no matter what addicts you, your present situation is not your destination. We're going to have a little bit of church here. We're going to try this. The first service had no rhythm, so I took a word out. So it's seven on seven. So we're balanced. So I think y'all got this. Right? I have faith in you. 
But that's what we're going to do. We're going to do a little call and response, right? I'm going to say something, and you're going to respond. I'm going to point to you to help you get started, right? We took out a word so it's balanced, so it should flow better. You'll get it, right? But that's what we're going to do. I'll do the call, and I don't care about who's sitting next to you, right, because they need to hear this. And I don't care about how embarrassing it might make you feel because you need to say this. If you get nothing out of this message this morning, I want you to know that your current situation is not your destination. So that's what you're going to say. I'm going to say something, and your response is going to be, my current situation is not my destination. Y'all ready? Let's try it. Y'all got to beat them. It ain't that hard, but y'all got this. No matter what you have done, No matter what's been done to you. No matter the affliction. No matter the addiction. No matter if you feel lost, no matter if you feel so far away from God that you've forgotten his touch, no matter if you seem to have lost the fire of that first love, no matter if you're looking for God and can't find him, help us on the way. The Spirit is here. Christ has come. Why? Amen. Give it up for yourselves. I knew it was good putting faith in y'all. In John 14, Jesus calls us to rejoice for peace has come down. We know this because God our Father has revealed in the fullness the person of Jesus, who he really is. Our Lord and Savior says that if you have ears to hear, if you have eyes to see, if you have hands to, to touch and hearts to feel and minds to know, you can know this morning that Jesus is the way, Jesus is the truth, Jesus is the life. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God, sisters and brothers, that we need no way but Jesus. We have no truth but Jesus. And there is no life. There is no life but life in Christ. Now that we've had a little church, it's time for an altar call. This is our altar call because somebody in this room needs to come home again. Somebody needs to come back to the Father. This is the altar call because somebody needs to get right and stay right. This is an altar call because today, at this very hour, in this very minute, at this very second, today is the day of salvation. Amen? Amen. This is an altar call because somebody in this room, and I want you all to hear this, right? I was a marketing major. I was thinking about these. There's a lot of catchphrases in here. It's like my only Messiah marketing degree coming out. This is the first sermon I felt like a marketing major, right? But I want you all to hear this one because I thought this one was good. I liked it, right? But somebody, some of us in this room, need to stop pretending, and we got to start depending on God. Amen? This is an altar call because somebody in this room needs to stop pretending and start depending on God. But this is your altar call. So it's not about me, and it's not about the church. I don't have to scare you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. This is your altar call, so I want to give you a minute, one minute. I want you to take some time to stop pretending before God and start depending on God. Now, for some of you, it may mean today is the day you finally commit to truly following Jesus. And that's beautiful. Today is the day of salvation because you're asking God to forgive you of your sins. But today might be the day you're asking God to set you free. Today might be the day you're asking God to welcome you back home. Sisters and brothers, stop pretending and start depending on God. But for some of us, maybe our love has gone dry. Maybe if we're honest, we've watched the fire burn out in our faith, 
We watch our light get enveloped with real darkness. Or maybe we believe, but we're not living it. Maybe we're fine with Jesus being our Savior, but not our Lord. Maybe we're too comfortable with Jesus being on a need-to-know basis. Maybe you're fine with Jesus being your ideal, something you can strive for, but not your example, someone to actually follow. So for you too, sisters and brothers, today is the day for you to finally recommit to following Jesus. Today is the day of your salvation because you are asking God to shine on you, asking God to shine in you, asking God to shine through you. You're asking God to set you free, to welcome you back home. Sisters and brothers, all of us need to stop pretending and start depending. So I'm going to give you all a minute, only a minute, because I want you all to continue this conversation with Jesus later. But I want you to give you a minute right now to, to just come back home.